What is going on? It's August 10th, um, 7.03 p.m. in San Diego, California. Sitting in Studio 1200, coming at you, recording a solo cast, a creative mind. I have a fan on, on low in the background, so hopefully it's not annoying. This is just going to be like it normally is over here on Creative Mind. Just a freeform... I don't know. Talk to you. I might fumble over some words. I might forget what I meant to say. I don't really have an agenda. I know I have lots of stuff to say. I know I could probably this probably could talk for fucking two hours or something just with all the things that I want to say. I should get. I'm gonna get a piece of paper here in front of me so I can write down things <laughs> to remind myself as I'm talking to you. Um, so. Welcome, welcome. Thanks for hanging out with me. Um, I've been, it's been a while since I've done one of these. I've done, I've been hustling the Word on the Street podcast pretty hard. I've been trying to do the MFA Chronicles podcast, which I don't even know if you know about. If, if I'm not sure if I've done a Creative Mind podcast since I started the MFA Chronicles podcast. I, I don't remember. But um, yeah, I don't even remember what I left off on on the creative mind podcast, but I will start it the same way I used to start it. And let's talk about gratitude for a little bit. I think it's super important um, to remember to have, to be thankful, to have gratitude. And then we can get into all the other stuff. Um, What am I grateful for? What are you grateful for? Think about it for a second. Think about it. I'm definitely grateful that this pandemic moment we're in hasn't been like, I'm super grateful that it hasn't been, like, as stressful as it's probably for a lot of people. A lot of people are losing their, lost their jobs. A lot of people are having to figure out how to pay for rent and getting evicted and just a lot of chaos going on because of it. Um, and I'm really grateful, really thankful that I don't have to deal with it. I made it. Thankful I, like, not quite skin in my teeth, but pretty, you know, pretty close at times with money getting through the summer i have i mean right now i have no money (laughs) basically if you know i don't have any rent i don't have anything in the bank right now but i am getting my uh, financial aid money i start school on the 24th so hopefully i don't know last time it's always goes into my account like a few days before the start of the semester so um, but until that happens, if something happens with that, I'm screwed. I will be in that position of like, oh, no. So I'll have to be calling people and saying, hey, can you help me with rent? Because <laughs> something happened. But um, it doesn't. I don't see why that would happen. I'm enrolled in school. Everything seems to be in, in check. Um, I could spin myself up into like, do, do, do I really know if everything's OK? <laughs> Pretty sure it's OK. So um, that's I guess that's the main thing I'm grateful for just that. I really haven't had as big of a burden across the board that a lot of people have had with the pandemic um, money wise, um, socialization wise, you know, I don't need to be out there socializing. I don't really have any friends in San Diego. There's not really much I want to do. I mean, the thing I'd want to do the most at this point is just go to the beach with my kids. Like this summer, wasn't able to go to the beach because of like a real, real hangout. We went to the beach once. And just kind of, um, but it wasn't like 
you know, hanging out and swimming and all. It was just kind of like get some fresh air and stay away from people, hang out. And it was it, not at the normal beach we like to go to. It was up in La Jolla or farther. I don't even remember where it was, but by Torrey Pines. But um, there's a little space you can park right on the road and walk straight to the beach. And it wasn't, we got there early enough that we were able to get a spot. So I brought my mom out there. She really wanted to go. She's She's been having that she has that part of it worse than I do that kind of need to do stuff part where I, I really don't need it. I was, I'm just, I'm doing okay. Just being here in my little home studio. So it's, that's another thing. I'm so grateful for having the space to work and make things. And I've been, I, I hustled this summer. I hustled hard realizing I hustled harder than I give myself credit for. I think sometimes, um, I may I managed to make a few pieces of artwork and I managed to pick up some actual work, and stayed on time and did it all and the work the artwork i did i'm really proud of i really think it's a good you like building blocks on creating a great portfolio i mean we'll talk more i'll talk more i'm kind of it's gonna be hard for me to stay on task but that's what i'm grateful for that's what i'm grateful for i'll just leave it at that i'm sure there's other things but that's that's what i'm grateful let's let's uh, where to start dude where to start I have no idea where to start. Um, what's on the What's on my mind at the moment? Well, the the things that let's talk about podcasts. Let's start with podcasts. Um, podcasts. I have three podcasts. Obviously, I have this Creative Mind podcast. I have Word on the Street podcast, and I have the MFA Chronicles podcast. So I was telling you, I I started a new podcast called MFA Chronicles, which is here's the idea. Um, I decided to call it MFA Chronicles because I'm an MFA student. Um, I might have, it might, it's already can tell that people think it's about being an MFA, but it's not really about being an MFA. Although that's the con- the heavy part of the conversation right now, in some ways, it's just about being an artist in general. It's about an opportunity to tell, to have a space where I can talk to artists of any medium. So with the word on the street podcast, it's strictly musicians pretty much. And it's strictly where it's really strict is the Seattle Northwest music community. A lot of people don't understand that. I'm going to talk about that more in a little bit too. But um, the MFA Chronicles was just a way to try to have an open-ended conversation about art, about being a creative person. And the MFA just stands for me. I'm the MFA. These are my chronicles, the people I'm talking to. It's not like chronicling what an MFA is. It's chronicling someone who is an MFA <laughs> in a way. So I don't know, maybe that's understood. Maybe it's not, maybe it doesn't matter. The The hardest thing, so I've, the bulk of my interviews have been with the other graduate students at San Diego State University. So it's fine. That's kind of a reason why I made it. That's the main reason why I made it, but I'm hoping it'll branch out. And I've been able to get a few other people um, on the podcast that are not directly related to the San Diego State University at like, art school of art and design but it's been really hard like all my cold emails that i'm sending to just artists that i'm admire online like they're not even famous artists they're just like you know they might have a small reputation with their community but they're not like i'm not trying to go for like whatever the equivalent of jackson pollock would be you know i'm not trying to like hit up the the biggest names in the art world i'm just like trying to reach out to people that i think are doing cool stuff and one like i won't say none but one one of them has responded in a positive way saying hey that sounds cool let's do it and i did an interview with them and he wasn't the most talkative either so he was 
wasn't the best guest um so it was kind of interesting but it was still fun to, to talk to him um but the the people i've reached out for I'm, and i just i'm like man what no they're just like either they're not getting my emails or they just don't care it's like they look at my email and go well I don't care and I'm not going to respond to this. So I don't understand that. I don't understand why they can't be like, oh, thanks for the invitation. I'm not this time. Thanks. I guess, I don't know, because then they have to deal with, well, will there be a good time? And they, instead of just saying, oh, I'd rather not even consider it, then. So I don't know. And then I get mixed, somewhat mixed signals about the quality of what I do as a podcaster. Because the, the interaction of my podcast is really low like the engagement super low but when i talk to people about it they're like oh man you're really good at this you know what you're doing you're like and then some of the people they're like i get a person to person like you know what you're doing you sound good thanks you know that that was really cool that conversation but the actual like downloads engagement the interaction like call to action for people on the podcast is like at almost zero I do have um, two Patreon supporters, which is amazing. And I'm, you know, it's like, oh, I got one. Awesome. And then about a week later, I got another one. I was like, oh, cool. I got two. It's like, oh, let's let's see if this will trend. Nothing. So so that's the MFA Chronicles podcast. And it's kind of like not really stalled out, but it, I just haven't been as aggressive with it because I'm, I don't want it to just be the students at San Diego State University. And I get kind of like, eh, I don't want to. And, and there's only so many of us anyway that... I, you know, I'll, I'll be able to get all of us easy. I just want it to kind of branch out and I just haven't been as inspired because I haven't got the response from anybody to do more. And I was hoping that maybe, I don't know, it would be found a little bit more. It'd be more of a open, the conversation would inspire more people to go like, oh, this is cool information about art and being an MFA student. And, but that hasn't happened yet at all either. I'm, I don't know how many episodes have I done. I'll say like 16 or so. I don't know, maybe more, um, but it's it's been interesting. It hasn't been going as good as I hope. Uh, granted, it's just started, but granted, you know, when you, I know that podcast has just started, but other podcasts I've been doing for a long time and other things in creative I've been doing a long time, but things are looking up, things are growing, but it's just still that super slow pace that's like agonizing. But let's talk about the Word on the Street podcast for a little bit. So when the pandemic hit, I decided to kind of get that one going again. In 2019, I only recorded one podcast that year. It was like early, I think February of that year. And then I just kind of was like, yeah, I don't really have the time or energy to do this right now because I was hustling, working so hard. And then started grad school at the end of that year. And then I, um, and then the pandemic hit. And then, so when the pandemic hit, I was like, you know, I'm here now, I'm home. Um, and everybody's kind of doing the online thing. Let me start this. I, and I've always wanted to start the Word on the Street podcast again. And I was like, well, let me get it going again. Um, let me get it going again. I just remember something I'm writing down. So give me a second. Um, let me get it going again and just reach out to some people in the community, some people that have been on the podcast before. It's been super easy. That that podcast, because of the level of people that I'm talking to, and maybe because I have a little reputation, I have friends already with it, super easy to get guests, super easy. So the, the idea is to just kind of record and document this moment in time, talk about how people are dealing with the 
the pandemic, talk about how people are dealing with Black Lives Matter um, and those types of things, like what's going on in our world. And I realized as well, um, that podcast, I realized a lot of people think it's a podcast about music, which it is, but it's really about the people making the music. It's really about what the culture around the music, like what your mind is going through, what your thoughts are going through. If you decide to not write music because you don't feel inspired. And that's the conversation I want to have. It's like, oh, yeah, there's a lot going on in the world and you're not doing anything. That's what I want to talk about. It's like, what has happened to make you not want to do something? And I realize that's really a hard conversation to have with people. Um, luckily, I've been able to have it with a few people, but I've gotten some responses that they don't feel like they have anything to offer. And it's like, no, that's exactly what it, what makes you feel like you don't have anything to offer. That's the conversation I want to have. And then we could just talk about stuff. And you have done music before. You know, it's like we could connect it all together. You don't have to have like an album dropping tomorrow for me to want you to have be on the podcast. So just a realization there. And I, maybe I'm doing a bad job of like telling people why I want them on the podcast, but also the reputation of it and just the surface level look of being a bunch of musicians that are on it might make people think a certain thing. So I was hoping that I, and I'm, you know, I have this philosophy of just dropping a podcast whenever I don't have a podcast need to come out on every Thursday, which it was like a long time. I did the word on the street podcast every Thursday. So I, and I just have, because I know that all my podcasts is really a very specific audience It's people that already know the person that's on the podcast, the guests on the podcast. I don't have like a, just a base audience. So I just put it out whenever because I don't have to worry about overlap. I don't have to worry about like, oh, I dropped two and two days in a row and they're too close together. I don't really have to worry about that because it's not like my audience is going like, oh, I can't keep up, Zim. <laughs> You're dropping too many podcasts. It's like it's first time listeners. The bulk of it is first time listeners because it's just friends and family of the person that's on the podcast. But I was hoping that maybe if I could just kind of hustle this and it would it would kind of generate some kind of momentum, then I just haven't felt it. So it's made it hard to, it's somewhat made it like I could feel like inside of me a little bit going like, man, why is it, you know, why is it so hard? But, you know, obviously if it was, was easy, everybody would do it. But, and I'm just, I, so I have to figure out my motivation again a little bit with why I'm doing some of the things I'm doing, especially around the podcast, because I, I just believe in it and I feel like it's worth a bigger audience, but I just have no idea how to achieve it because it's just, yeah, it's just difficult. And I don't know, it feels like, this is what it feels like. It feels like, you know, the combination of my age and maybe the combination of the guests or maybe, I, I don't know, like it just, it just feels irrelevant. It feels not relevant enough. And so I guess I have to make it more relevant. Maybe I just answer my own question. Like, how do I make it more relevant? But is it really? It was, I don't know. But then I so then I just have to answer the question for myself, like, what is the real reason you're doing it? And, you know, I want to do it because I want an audience. You know, I, I'm not, you know, I'm just like every, just like not every other, but a lot of artists, creative people, we make the thing we make for the audience. You know, we make it for ourselves because we enjoy doing it. But I'm not content with only doing it for myself. So I have to find that 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 kind of thing that that come that balancing point between making it because I enjoy it but also making it for an actual audience. So I want to make the thing that I enjoy whatever that may be that will then have an audience as well and I just haven't found that thing yet in the to the degree 
yeah, I haven't found that thing yet because like the closest thing I could think of that even came to that was when I was doing the rideshare show. But the problem there was I didn't enjoy the content enough to want to keep going it. That's why I'm not doing it anymore. But there was an audience for it. Like every time I dropped an episode on YouTube, I would get some response. And that was like, that's what I want. I want every time I drop something, I want people to respond to it. And I don't want to feel like I have to pull teeth to get the response. So, but I'm just not there yet. Hopefully I'll get there. And it feels like there is certain, maybe I'm, maybe I'm getting there a little bit. Like, um, I don't know, my YouTube channel, I finally have changed. I finally feel like I figured out a way to make content on my YouTube channel that feels the right level of production value and the right kind of content that I want. Now it's just a matter of keeping that going and trying to build an audience from that. Like my art, like I'm using YouTube as a main place to put my art out to the world. And I think, you know, I put two pieces out this summer through YouTube that I feel like are worthy of, you know, attention in a way. I feel proud of them. I feel like they're fine. And the people that I have shown, like this, the one piece that's called um, It'll All Work Out, which is this post-it note mural, I put it out and I was like, okay, I want people to actually see this. Like, what do I have to do to get people to actually see this? Because my audience on YouTube, it doesn't engage that much. If I just post on any social media, just people might see it in the, the thread, but not really decide to go, hey, this is a new videos and put out, let me go check it out. <clears throat> they don't do that. So what I did with the that one was I emailed individually pretty much well, I don't know how many, but a good, good portion of my um, Facebook's friends list. And so I was like, hey, I just did this thing. Check it out. I really, I'm really proud of how it turned out. And that actually got people to watch it and respond to it. And it actually got a really great amount of shares. Like people actually reposted it to their Facebook profile. And I was like, Thank, okay, cool. This might help that nudge it, not only nudge it for the community of Facebook, but also maybe for the community of YouTube, because what it feels like with YouTube is, you know, the bigger creators, they clog up the stream. It's like there's this kind of a analogy I have is like this river, this like really wide river and the center of the river, the current's moving really fast. And that's where all the, you know, the big creators get kind of dropped in there and like people see it and it's on the featured videos and all this stuff and people click on it. So, but if you're a new creator, smaller creator or whatever, or the algorithm decided something about your content is a certain thing. So it doesn't kind of push it into that stream. It just kind of sits on the edge or even on the bank. It's not even in the river yet. That's where it feels like most of my content is on Facebook or on YouTube. So I was hoping that like, maybe if I got all my, like a bunch of people to actually watch it, make some comments, I got a good amount of comments and it just nearly, clearly it wasn't enough to push it into the stream so that YouTube would find it. Like it would be like on a recommended video on YouTube and maybe like there's not a spot for it because, you know, maybe people are watching certain things that there's no reason for this video to be recommended on YouTube because nobody's watching similar stuff. I don't know, but there's just, you know, because there's so many people watching videos on YouTube, like why wouldn't, why couldn't there be an audience for it? And I was hoping that could happen, but it didn't happen. So YouTube never found it and picked it up. Like I even had a few people say like, oh, this 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 should go viral because of like what I was making and how I made it. And they, were, they, they felt that way about it and they reshared it and posted really great comments on there, you know, but unfortunately, I don't have many, if any, 
kind of influencer type of friendships with anybody. Like nobody I know can do something for me that would then give it a major boost. Like, and I can't even do that for the people that I know, which makes me super frustrated. Like I wish like word on the street or anything I was doing, if I promoted something, it would it would be a needle mover for people. That would be amazing. Um, if like some every audi every band that I interviewed on Word on the Street, like the next day got like another thousand downloads on their album or something or whatever it is. Like it got some like pub that way. Now that's what I would love to be able to accomplish for my community, but I don't have that kind of leverage. But so that didn't happen for my that video. So then a, a couple weeks later, maybe a month later, I finished a second video project with these masks. It's called Made in America. And I really, um, really liked what I learned from the first video is my lighting wasn't quite as good as I'd hoped I thought it was going to be because I kind of rushed it. And overall, one of the things I'm learning is to slow down my content creation in a bit, like not get as just put it out like when I made the rideshare show and different things it was just like I didn't care what the lighting was in a sense I thought I could I didn't really pay that close attention to what was going on I just kind of like did a somewhat got good job of it but now every time I do a talking head or I do one of my I like really pay attention to the lighting and then do like test you know I test you know reel it look at it look back and go like oh let me adjust the lighting before I start to hit record for the first time and i'm even writing down like settings like oh when i do my talking heads like the one thing i know for now for sure is like every time i do a more talking head type of video or a portion of a video that's a talking head i figured out a good lighting setup it's not perfect but it's pretty good and i figured out what setting on my camera and i figured out what's you know i make sure the the window is closed so i don't i have all controlled lighting and i turn it all on and it's like and just the other day i i did it again and i was like set up the camera and did the thing and just set all the settings and i was like oh it's exactly like i want it <laughs> whereas before i every time i would kind of have to refigure it out and go like does this look good does that look good but now it's like oh now i know exactly one look that i think looks pretty good and i'll grow from there so so with the second video i really dialed in the lighting for it and i think it looks like visually i think it looks like one of the best things i've recorded and um and then content wise i really i'm happy with the content it's it's kind of like thought provoking i think and i've gotten great feedback like some of the things i was worried about with feedback i didn't people haven't even brought up yet but I've, i haven't really had it in a formal critique yet but um but some of my audience some like my professors have have uh reached out and said they really like it and they're really proud of it and that makes me go like oh cool I've, i feel like i'm onto something with my the tone and the language that i'm using video and art making and what i want to say right now with my art making process so you know and i'm really proud of this piece and the point i'm trying to say is nobody's seen it <laughs> you know it's like it's been viewed like 30 times on oh i think maybe more than that maybe like 80 times let me i'll look it up while i'm here um Let's see here. Go to YouTube. Go to my um, studio. So go to my dashboard, my videos. 76 times. It's been viewed 76 times since August 1st. So 10 days. It's just kind of like, man, what's that? It's like 
less than 10 views a day, if that. So I don't know. Um, so it's just kind of disappointing. I haven't been able to get into that stream yet. Um, but at least it's been viewed 76 times. And I haven't really, I've shared it a bunch of places. I tried different techniques. And this one, because I, about a month ago, I did that email every person. I didn't want to do that again. So that's kind of where I'm sitting with um, some of that. One cool thing that did happen recently with my YouTube channel is my tunnel. So my tunnel books, I still make my tunnel books. And about a month ago again, I guess it was, I don't know the date, this Brazilian tunnel, this Brazilian YouTuber named Flamingos um, found one of my tunnel book videos, did a video about, like basically taught herself how to make a tunnel book based on my video. And then in her video, like her vloggy type video, she put a cut of my video and tag, like linked it up in the description of her video and did that twice for me. And because of that, she like a bunch of her, she has like 600,000 followers on YouTube subscribers. And because of that, like a good, handful of people like my the video that she linked up got lots of views and that video also got a good handful of comments of all like pretty much 90 percent brazilian or not brazilian but portuguese language comments and i'm like i don't know what to say but then after the first the first one i thought was like a spammy thing but then as it happened again and i was like oh let me trans google translate this and figure it out it's portuguese and then i then I figured out, oh, they're talking about another YouTuber. So I looked up that person, then found the video, and then I thanked her on Instagram. Like I reached out to her and said, oh my God, this is so amazing. Thank you so much. And then, so there was just a little bit of like action there. And because of that, this is what I'm talking about, going back to that, that, that influencer kind of state, you know, that I was talking about earlier. Because of that, like she actually has influence over her audience. And they actually went and found my videos and some of them even dug down deeper and found other videos of my tunnel books. And I got like, you know, right now I stand at like, uh, like another 150 subscribers were added to my YouTube channel because of that reaction. I was like, oh, this is amazing. So the other day, just recently I put, I decided to make another tunnel book because I realized I didn't have a good, you know, step-by-step -step tutorial of making a tunnel book. Um, all my tunnel book videos right now kind of are like a how to, but watch and learn rather than me like saying like, this is what I'm doing here. And this is what I'm doing here. So I decided to do that and combine with the fact that I'm getting better at being uh, more deliberate about my lighting and about my shots and slowing down a little bit. It's actually one of, it's probably the, you know, I think it's easily the best kind of how to type of behind the scenes video that I've made on my channel. And I'm really proud of it. I think it's a little long. It's about 19 minutes long. Um, and I don't know if that's too long or not, but, but I think it turned out really good. I I'm liking some of the things that I'm doing. I've actually been learning, picking up some little tips here and there by watching like little snippets on TikTok and other places about editing videos. And I'm trying to incorporate these little editing tricks that I've picked up. Um, and then also just editing by example too, where there's two YouTubers that I'm really into that I wanna start modeling my content after. It's MKBHD and 1000, MKBHD is a technology YouTuber. Did I say YouTube or did I say podcast? YouTube. Um, 
And then the other one is Ten Hundred, who's an artist that used to live in Seattle and now lives in Michigan. Ever does really cool stuff, but his, goddamn, his his YouTube's must take forever to make because he like, I I don't he does original music for all of them to a degree that's like, whoa he writes these like lyrics for these YouTube uh, it's it's crazy the level of production that he puts into them, but it I guess it pays off because not only is his art really cool but his YouTube presentation is like freaking amazing I love it. So, and I've have reached out to him a few times to be on the the MFA Chronicles podcast and no dice. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But um, so those are kind of some inspirations. Realizing, like, let me just try to make my visual content better because I believe in the the content as a content. You know, like aside from what it looks like, what I'm talking about and doing is worthwhile. I just think you know, notching up that that you know, presentation game a little bit more, I think might help. And that I published that yesterday and it's got 30 views so far. And I think hopefully like one of my, one of my tunnel milk videos has like, like 20,000 views on it. So I'm hoping that maybe there's an audience for tunnel books that'll find it and, you know, value it and, you know, help it grow. And with my YouTube channel right now as well, I have, um, my my revenue has gone up just a little bit right now it's sitting at around twenty dollars a month um which for a long time it went down during when the pandemic started it dropped all the way down to like eight dollars a month and i finally did get another deposit um about a month ago it took about six months i think december was the last deposit i got in this so every every time your account hits a hundred dollars at least a hundred dollars you'll get a deposit so you know obviously i want to start to you know, have my YouTube ad revenue get to a point where I'm getting a deposit every month. But right now it's about out 20 bucks a month. Um, so I'm hoping that'll grow, but I'm not sure how much, cause my, that subscriber change that happens gonna die off soon. It's gonna show, go back to another, like, I always seem to add subscribers, but it's usually like between one and 10. It's uh, every 30 days rather than 150 every 30 days. So, but there's just things, it's probably gonna level out a little bit, my YouTube channel, but hopefully not. Hopefully, maybe I can just keep feeding it content that will get people excited. So we'll see. We'll see what goes on there. What else did I wanna say about that? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm feeling pretty confident about my YouTube um, and what I'm doing, but it's definitely not to the place where I want it yet. Here's the thing. Okay, here's a good topic to talk about. One thing I realized, so like a couple things. Oh, geez, a couple things. Okay, relating back to podcasts, this is all kind of connected together. I did an interview with this guy named Quentin Morris on the Word on the Street podcast, who is a violin player, or yeah, violin, and um, has runs a violin school in, in the Northwest, and we had this conversation. He's also kind of entrepreneurial focus. And one of the things he brought up was this, you know, I asked him about how does he, with all the things that he does, how does he stay like focused or something to that idea? Or how does he know what to not say no to and things? And it essentially brought this idea of having a mission statement for his business. And if things don't align with the mission statement, that's what makes it easy for him to say no to. So that it kind of really kind of took that, I kind of took that to heart. And, and I was thinking, well, what if I thought of myself as a business and then I designed, I wrote a mission statement for myself. And I think I've done this in ways before, but I just never defined it like that. And so 
so that really clicked resonated for me in some way and so what i decided to do was write this mission statement for myself for the next two years basically because that's what i have left in grad school so i wrote it on my whiteboard and it says complete grad school and get the most out of it that's my mission statement complete grad school and get the most out of it so now whenever i'm thinking about stuff that's in my life i have to i i you know i could not compare but i put it up against that mission statement and go like is this thing that i want to do helping me achieve this mission statement and of course there are things that are external that there's no option like being a father and being you know the things i want to do that are outside of that mission statement but it's just you know it's everything else everything else that's not necess necessity in a sense like making different youtube videos or other things and what i've discovered is um the way that it's helped me the most is when I, it helps me not get bummed out that I'm not doing everything that I want to do because I'm realizing, well, I can't do everything I want to do because this is my mission statement right now and I need to finish this. I want to do grad school and get the most out of it. So when I'm looking at TikTok and scrolling through and I see somebody that's wrote a song and they're like figured out how to get people to like like it or whatever and they've they've got some virality to their song and i'm like i could write a song like why am i not writing a song i could do this too or or just whatever it is like oh i could do that i can make stickers and do that i could do this thing and that thing i'm like well that's that's not helping me with my current mission statement so don't think about it don't worry about it right now your goal like and i go like well that person's not going to grad school and dealing with that so it's like I'm like okay with myself or where I am at in life and things like that. So that's it's helped a lot actually over the last. It's been only been about a month since I've had this idea, but it's helped a lot to to really keep myself centered and focused on what I'm doing right now. Like not feeling discouraged because I'm not doing everything I think I can do. I'm focused on the things that I am doing and what I'm doing right now, which is good. And just like so, we have two weeks. Um, so I'm kind of scatterbrained now. I have two weeks. Let me come back to this. Two weeks. I'll write it down till grad school starts for the second year. But I wanted to mention, I going back to kind of podcasting, I put a, a call on a forum on Facebook to say, hey, I want to be a guest. Like one of my goals, like I'm trying to manifest in a way is one of my goals is to be a guest more often. Like I want people, I want to figure out a way to, the things that I do, people value enough to want to invite me to be a guest. And that was always a goal of like the word on the street podcast. I'm just blown away. Honestly, I don't understand why no one in the Seattle community really um, of any influence has reached out and said, hey, you've been hustling this thing for a while. Let's write a story about you. Let's let's do some kind of article. Let's let me have you on my podcast. Like really nothing. I was on a podcast recently but it's very small podcast but he reached out to me to learn how to be a podcaster and it was kind of like a a different situation it wasn't like an established institute like a magazine or like you know a local paper or anything that has some kind of leverage already saying like hey this guy's hustling let's um let's let's see what he's about that hasn't happened yet and that's kind of and even people i know <laughs> even people i know and have been on my podcast they haven't said like, hey, let, let me return this favor and kind of write up about you. Let me figure out how to get you some hype. And I just don't, I don't get it. 
I don't, I don't get it, but so there's that. So I'm hoping that, so basically the, where that all came from was I'm, I'm hoping that I can create something and do something in my life that will inspire people to want me to be a guest on their podcast. So in that kind of manifestation idea, I was like, you know, screw it. I'll just put it out there a little bit more. And on this forum say like, Hey, this is what I wrote this kind of like a uh, decent sized paragraph of like, this is what I've been involved with in my life, podcasting, YouTube, father, depression, anxiety, sports, you know, grad student, you know, a bunch of things. There was probably a couple more there than that, but that's probably it. I said, if that fits with any of your content that you put out on your podcast, I want to be a guest. And I got three people to reach out to me and, th and then subsequently three podcasts recorded where I got to be a guest and talk about stuff with them. And they were all like really great and really fun. None of them have been published yet, um, which I'm like, Ugh. but I get like, I, the way I publish my podcast, we're on the street, all of them is I just do them and publish them the day I do them. I don't hold on to them anymore, which is what I was talking about earlier a little bit. I don't even think I finished that thought, but I, um, and so I have to just realize like people are just there. I'm in queue somewhere and hopefully they'll get published. One time, a long time ago, I got recorded for a podcast that never got published. And I'm like, oh, come on guys. You know, it's like, this is what I'm trying to do. Like, and I understand the value of content. Like so many, and I, that's another thing. I'm so baffled by how many people I have on my podcast that never share it with their community. Cause it's like, this is the point. I'm giving you content. <laughs> I'm giving you something more to share with your community because that's what if you want to have want to keep hustling this thing, these goals and dreams, you got to feed your community content all the time. But they don't ever share it. So that blows my mind. So, anyways, so I got um got to be a guest on three podcasts, which was super awesome, super fun. And I'm really excited about those and when they come out. I think um, they all turn out really great. Very, very different. I'll say two I'll say two of them were pretty easy conversations because the host was good. One of them, the host was struggling a little bit, but because I know what's up, I made it happen. You know, I was like, I'm not gonna let it I'm gonna I'm gonna keep this, you know, going because I know what he's going through. Um, and so let's just, I'll just do it, you know? So I feel like I, I carried, carried one of the podcasts and the other two, I feel like were pretty even, um, between me helping and doing what I do. And then the guests just being good or the host just being good hosts. So yeah, so three podcasts. So a moment ago I wrote down, um, grad school starts in two weeks. So let me do a, like a little recap of last year of what I remember. I just had a conversation with um, today with some of my other fellow students. And one of the things that came up with them was the idea. I wrote it down in my notes. Let me pull up my notes. It says um, the importance of note taking was a big one. Well, I guess that wasn't as, as I thought there was something else. I thought I, I'm trying to like, I want to be a resource for people that want to be want to be a grad student eventually or something and realizing the importance of note taking um, in terms of like everything like whenever you have a conversation with anybody um, about art especially about your art and they re recommend an artist or they have a critique on your work even if it's off the cuff you should write all this stuff down because it's important 
and I didn't really get that until about my second semester, like even a couple weeks into my second semester. Um, yeah, so so there's that. Um, but just the first year was pretty chaotic. I didn't know what was going on. I don't think the San Diego State University grad school has a very good idea of what they, I don't even think they know what's going on. I don't think they understand that it, it's not helpful to not have some kind of like, um, guidelines in a sense and some kind of like solid foundation about what it what the point of being a student there is they their grad program I don't feel like there's like a mission statement for their grad program I don't think they know what it means to be a grad student at San Diego State University um, and you just kind of flounder and you get a degree and you're done you know it's not like there's a very specific reason for it which would help me a lot if I understood this is what they want me to get out of it. If there's a very specific definition, I would be able to kind of frame my my presence there in a way. I'm gonna write that down. Um, frame mission statement. Mission. All right, I did it. I wrote it down. Mission statement for being a grad student. Um, so yeah, so that's a that's a struggle I had last year. I didn't realize that was the struggle, one of the struggles until later into it. And the the obvious struggle was just the communication is really bad, the advising is really bad. Um, so like those two things really bad. But then it's like okay, so the second level from that is they don't have a clearly defined definition of why you are a grad student there. Um, I made an assumption. Um, it's you know half of this is on me or more or whatever. There is an element of this that's on me because. I went in assuming something about being a graduate student that it was about making art for one and it's not really about making art it's about why you're making art so that's a thing so so i didn't know that at first i thought i would be actually make i thought the priority would be making artwork but it's really not because there's enough paper writing there's enough of that there's enough other things that are necessary to do logistics, just time it takes to get from one place to another. There's enough things to in your way of making art that it makes it not about making art. <laughs> so it's about why you're making art and, and kind of deepening your mindset or deepening your thought process around making art, but not actually a physical action of making art, at least not in the first year. And who knows about the second year, maybe by the third year because of your thesis kind of thing is a big part of it is the work you made so hopefully that feels like you're spending dedicating enough time to your art making and i'm trying to like figure out a way to um this semester again i'm taking 12 credits which is heavier i'll be credit wise i'll be ahead i don't know if how it fits in terms of what i need versus what i'm taking maybe i'm taking something i it'll just be it extra <laughs> but i don't have to pay extra for it but i enjoy it one of the classes that i want to make sure i always take is this interdisciplinary critique that's starting to happen because that's that's one of the main reasons i wanted to even go to art school again was to have that kind of conversation so i want to take that class as often as i can so anyways so the first year was crazy um it was weird i was kind of frustrated with with it to be honest um didn't like the fact that it was just didn't i didn't feel like i was given direction in the way that i could really understand it and then just other things happened then the pandemic happened which actually you know like i said at the beginning really didn't affect me as much as it affected a lot of other students i actually 
in some ways was relieved by the pandemic, just being able to stay at home. And ironically, when the pandemic first happened, I thought it would kind of lessen the load, but it actually increased. It just it didn't lessen the load at all. It it just replaced it with something else. It just changed everything. Um, one of the things I noticed with the pandemic and being a student and there's just a different kind of ways people were reacting to it. Like some professors, luckily I didn't have any of these type of professors, but some professors started added, gave their students way more work because they felt like, oh, their students are just home doing nothing. So I'll just give them more work. Um, luckily that didn't happen to me. But what did happen to me was, whereas some of these classes I was taking, I was able, during the school year, I was able to do the work needed for the class during the class time so the three hour block that was set aside two days a week or whatever we would we'd get an assignment and we that was the time to work on it so i was approaching it like this is my job this is why i'm here i'm doing this but once i was removed from that setting the class times became zoom meetings and then the zoom meetings became just discussions on things so there wasn't a lot of opportunity to work during that time so that pushed all the work i needed to do outside of that time so that meant i needed to have motivation to do it in a way like for me it was honestly just like i need to do these credits i just want to learn some things this is not my passion this is not why specifically why i'm here it's just a, another box to check off but once I had to move it into like a, I need to find personal motivation to do this, it got really difficult. And I was like, I do not, this is not, this is not exciting to me. I'd rather be working on my own work. You know, that's why, that's why I liked having that classroom work time to do it because it was like, I could get it done. And then once I was done the class, I would go back to my studio or whatever and work on things that, that I was interested in. So there was that element of things. Um, so it just kind of, so it didn't relieve the amount of, it just cre it was kind of oddly, it created more work because I was sitting in the Zoom meetings and then I would have to do the work outside of it. Luckily, the workload did decrease. Like both of the, there's two classes in particular that I'm thinking of and the workload did decrease in both of those classes. So um, it wasn't terrible, but then you have the whole pandemic, the anxiety, the kind of the stress around that when it first happened. I wasn't even, I was freaked out. I wasn't going shopping. We were trying to eat off of like the most minimum things we could have. Cause I didn't, it just kind of hit all quick. I, I didn't think at first when the pandemic hit, I thought like it wouldn't be that big a deal. I didn't really know how serious it was gonna be or it is. And um, I was thinking like, oh, they're gonna kick everybody off campus, but I'm a grad student, I'll be able, but they were like, no, nobody's coming on campus. I was like, oh, okay. So like when I started to realize and then, and then it just kind of elevated cause they did this thing where like said, they were going to kick everybody off in a week, but then it just all of a sudden said like, Nope, we're kicking off everybody tomorrow because of like the seriousness just ramped up. And so it was like all, then all of a sudden my brain clicked over and said like, Oh, this is actually fucking serious. Like, and then I was kind of, kind of started to get freaked out about it. And then I was like, I'm not going shopping cause it's kind of weird. And then like the shelves were empty anyway. So we went like, I don't know, a couple of weeks and just kind of scrounged off what we had. And I forget. And they it got, it was crazy enough that like, you know, Instacart and Amazon Prime and things like that couldn't keep up. So they stopped being able to deliver. Like, so there wasn't even delivery options. And there was like, but then as time went on, things kind of settled. Um, right now I go shopping every about two weeks and wear my mask and do that thing. But when the first, yeah, it was just kind of crazy at first. So, so that's that pandemic. happened. But that was the, that was the stressful part for me. 
The school part was not stressful at all. I didn't need a studio. Like I'm actually way more comfortable working in my home studio and realizing now having experienced the school studio and um, the, the, um, the school studio and then my home studio, it's like, there's really no comparison to how much more comfortable it is to work in my home studio than it is to work on the school studio. Um, no comparison. And so it's something that I'm gonna have to um, kind of like come to terms with or something because eventually this whole school year, I'll be able to work from this my home studio. But then the following school year, I might need to go back on campus and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask if I can get a different studio if it's possible to get a different studio when I'm on campus again next semester or not next semester but next year because I don't want to have to share it is basically a big part of it um, I don't want to have to share it but um, but also like I don't know just a couple of things that in that particular studio the temp it was really weird temperature control wise like my home studio sucks because it's hot I don't have AC that the the school studio sucked because it was freaking freezing cold all the time and and there was this fan that was running that all the time that was super loud and it was like and it was like kind of this i don't know the kind of work that i like to do with doing podcasts and doing you know video recording it was just like kind of a big burden to create something um with the production value that i wanted in that space like i i had planned to just live in that space in a way. But then when I realized like what it offered, I was like, you know, this isn't really that great. <laughs> this is not as fun as I thought it was going to be. Um, and just in hindsight, I feel that more when I was in it, I liked it a lot because I liked having the being outside of my house and not dealing with my mom and just kind of being in my own space in a way. But then I had to share it. So it wasn't really my own space. Um, so there was elements, but Honestly, I just closed the door in my studio here and my mom can't hear anyway, so I can talk and um, do whatever I want. And it's it's somewhat okay. The only bummer here is like, I have to watch my sound. Like I can't play my guitar or, or do things that might be loud like after 10 p.m. Uh, or even maybe 9 p.m. because I live in an apartment and there's neighbors. And then there's the other side of that where there every once in a while there's noises coming in from outside um, that I have to, you know, maybe wait on recording something because of, but that's not a huge big deal, but I'd say side-by-side -side comparison of the two studios, I'm more comfortable in my home studio for sure. There's no question about that. There are benefits to the other one, but it's, it actually is not enough to make me yearn for it. I do not yearn for it, um, at all. Yearn for it. Not at all. So I don't know what to do with that about that when the time comes that I'm going to need to do anything about that. Thanks a lot for hanging out with me for 50 minutes so far. This is pretty cool. I'm told you I have a lot to say. One of the things that I definitely want to, I've been really trying to figure out how to access and I don't know, it's been difficult is doing live streams. I really think that that would be like an amazing, that's like would work for me because Production value-wise, you're doing it live, so there's this forgiveness of the that production value in some ways. And the way I like to talk and be freeform about things, I don't have to worry about the script as much, which I've learned there's a value of the script with everything else I'm doing. 
I'm, I'm writing out a lot more things that I'm planning to say on any of my videos. And sometimes it takes a lot longer to do them because you start, if you start reading a script, it starts to feel like forced and weird. So I'll read the script, but then eventually I've read the script so many times that I memorize essentially what I wanted to say. And I can say it a little bit smoother than I could if I was just thinking it off the top of my head. So that's kind of been something that's been happening for a while. Um, which is interesting, but with the live show, you know, I don't need, I can just, it's all about off the top of your head and then the interaction. So I've been able to do it one time as a test run. And I only had like one person like start chatting over the like YouTube chat with me or YouTube comments. And it was amazing. It's just like the best feeling in the world. And it's like having that kind of relationship would be like super awesome. If I could start making a, a show so i've had these a couple concepts for a show and i i plan to so i did that test run and i was planning to do another show like i was actually like okay i'm gonna do this the right quote unquote the right way because you know a lot of people it's died off hard now like nobody cares again but um in a lot of ways I and mean, there's a few handful of people still live streaming but not when the pandemic first hit there was like a lot of people like the buzz around live streaming was like huge like people were like it was like the thing in a way but everybody was doing it, in my opinion, pretty wrong. They were just kind of like jumping on with their phone, their camera phone, their phone camera. Yeah. And it was like crappy production value and all this stuff. So I was like, okay, let me, let me up this production game. I figured out how to hook up my DSLR to my streaming. I actually got uh, gifted a, a streaming software that is like 700 bucks. And because everybody, for the most part, everybody uses OBS, which is a free shareware version. But I got this like, actually you know like pay for version of, of a streaming software so i have this i have like the gear now in some ways and the production value will be decent i just haven't had the the, the entrance into it because i was gearing up i didn't have my kids for a long while during the beginning of the pandemic because we were kind of worried about the transfer and how that all is going to work and <clears throat> so i was like okay let me just i'm going to start this weekly live stream is kind of what was my goal but then like right when i planned that idea um, the kids started coming back. So that's kind of like, Oh, I can't, I don't really want to do this when I have the kids and it's going to be awkward and it's going to like, I don't know. I just didn't feel comfortable about it. So I kind of pushed it all to the side. But the other thing that happened was I actually was planning this, like doing I was saying, doing it the right way with like, I was like promoting it. I put up, made a Facebook event page. I made a flyer. I made like this promotional, like, this is my event. This is what I'm going to do. I was talking about it on my podcast. Like, this is the thing. So for like a month, I was like, this day I'm going to do a live stream and like come join and really, really trying to hype it up and pump, pump, pump it up. And, you know, granted, probably nobody would have cared anyway, but, but I was trying at least attempting to be intentional about it. And the date I had set for the live stream was the date of the George Floyd Memorial service. And it just didn't feel right for me to be another white guy trying to live stream and say, Hey, look at me while, this really important social moment is happening. And so I, I watched the George Floyd Memorial. I was, I thought it was amazing. Um, and yeah, so that kind of threw that and, and like that show was going to be this, like, um, it was going to be, a like an hour long four part thing where I'd play four songs. I'd have one topic of eat and four topics and then four kind of, well, four songs, four topics I picked. And then, 
a space within each segment. So every 15 minutes, there'd be a space for audience kind of either question and answer or some topic that was submitted or something like that. So there'd be a space for that. So that would fill up my hour. And that was my plan. I thought it was a pretty good idea. But then I was like, you know, I had, I canceled it. And then I was like, well, what can I do instead of that? Like that, it started to not feel like that's the way I wanted to go about it. So I started to think, well, let me just do a live show that's kind of like a, you know, check-in show. And at the beginning of every show, it'll be like one topic. It'll be like one segment of that four segment thing, but it'll be, I'll play one song. I'll talk about a topic and then see if there's any kind of audience interaction and then just call it, you know, maybe it'll be 20 minutes, maybe it'll be an hour, but it's just like whatever it is. But I just haven't found the time to do it because part of me wants it to be like a regular, every Friday, you know, because I feel like because I want it, it's not like on demand, like this podcast is, it's like a live stream. It's like there's a moment in time where it happens live. And when people are engaging with it live, that's when it's the most fun. And so I wanted to have it scheduled in a way so people can start to rely on like, oh, every this on this day is when Zim will do his live stream. Let me tune in. But I just haven't been able to find that because of the schedule with the kids and just life and just different things. And so it's been really difficult for me to find the time to do this live stream. And then also it definitely doesn't align with that complete graduate school and get the most out of it. So it's like part of it is like, does that is this really important because it doesn't align with that? Uh, but I really want to do it. And so I don't know, maybe I'll just, I think what I'm going to end up doing is just some night, eventually I'll just set up my camera, hit go, just start talking to the, to the internet and see what happens. And if people join, you know, chime in at that moment, great. If they don't, whatever, but that's kind of what's probably going to happen. But the point I'm trying to make is because of that test and because of like, you know, what I've experienced so far, I think that form of content creation would be really good for me just by the way that I'm, you know, the way I do things, I think it would be really good for me, but I am, but, and at the same time, my, you know, production value of everything else is going up and I'm learning things. So maybe eventually like doing YouTube shows in a different way will be another, um, will be good for me just as much as like a live stream will be good for me. So that's, that's kind of what's going on there. Um, I did have a plan and I don't know if it's like, again, it doesn't really align with my mission statement, but I have a plan for another YouTube show that I want to do. I think I'm going to call it like upload on the Zim on the Zim video. And the idea is it's a, it's a, like a recommendation show about things. I guess it could be open-ended, but the original idea was things I find on the internet, like podcasts, other YouTube channels, um, things I like, things I actually engage with and watch and, and kind of, you know, engage with, um, and just, and just do like a five minute show, just do a little research, break it up into like three points going like, you know, what the thing is, what it is, why I like it. And something like, I, I can't remember the three points, but, um, three points, I wrote down three points on my white work, but I don't remember what the three points are. Something like what the specifically is like, kind of like giving a backstory of the thing, why it's cool just in general, and then why I like it, why I like it. And those are kind of the same point in a way, but they could be a little different. But then there's also like the piece of like what I would change about or like the critique of it, I could add in there because everything I like, there's always a critique as part of it as well. Um, but I'd call it I was thinking, 
I don't know. The original name was Cool Things on the Internet or something like that. That's really long. So C-T-O-T-I, Cool Things on the Internet. But then I was like thinking about somebody said something along the lines of like, you know, um, how you get at Blockbuster Video back in the day, you'd have like the, the employee picks or the employee recommendations or like, and then I, so I was like, oh, what Zim's picks or something, Zim's Rex or Rex sounds weird. And I was thinking like Rex, like internet Rex, like wreck it Ralph, wreck Ralph Rex the internet or like that kind of idea, but like internet Rex, like wreck the internet, but that wasn't quite playing that didn't. And then Rex is kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of awkward. And that was like, what about cool picks and hot picks? But that's been overused so many times. Zim's picks, I don't know. And then I just came up with upload, upload on the Zim video because it's like I'm uploading this information to you. I'm, I'm like, here's here's the information. I'm uploading it to you. You're now uploaded with, with this new thing that you go check out. And now I know it's not super original, but it's short. That's the thing I like to upload on the Zim video. It's like, and I think that's what I'm going to use if I actually make this show. Cause I want to make it like going back to that, those two YouTubers that I do like, um, MKBHD and 1200, 1000, 1200, I'm, I'm 1200. This is studio 1200. Um, 10 is, uh, you know, their production value, like steal some things from their production value and really like put the production value into the show and, um, yeah. And just kind of make it, make it better than what I have been making. And so, yeah, there's that. Uh, I think there's, I mean, I've been at it for an hour now. The last thing I really want to, I think I'll talk about, I don't know, maybe we'll see, maybe something will be inspired after I say this, but I've been, one of the hardest parts of this pandemic thing for me, in a way, is this, the idea that it's like, it's another, so I already have, so, okay, it relates to my, you know, dating life, my companionship, you know, life it's really difficult. This is like the hardest part of who I am, like dealing with how I personally relate with relationships and, um, and why I'm so, it's so hard for me to like find somebody and be attracted to them and then, then ask them out or try to get into a situation where I feel good about, you know, talking to them about romantic feelings. And I realized one of the things that's, I feel like one of the things I've realized about myself through this pandemic, I do, there's something else I want to talk about. Um, one of the things I realized about myself that during this pandemic, um, and I don't know if it's because I've had the time to think about it. I don't know if it's related to the pandemic or if I would have made this conclusion anyway, but where I've, um, feel like I, why I'm have a hard time with this kind of idea is, I think part of it is because of the example I was given growing up. Like my parents are a terrible example of a healthy relationship. Like I honestly thought like, you know, they didn't, they never looked happy. My mom got pretty much has been overweight her entire life that I've known her. There was like a moment where she lost a lot of weight, but I was really young and it was only lasted for like a year and then she gained it all back. Um, and so this idea of like the, the attractiveness of the person, like the woman that I would be a, linked up with would go away like like I would just end up with an unattractive person you know and yeah that's I'm I'm defining attractiveness with how much somebody weighs but if somebody's you know over, grossly overweight I have there's some I don't feel bad totally about that idea I think there's 
you know, anyways. So there's that aspect. And then just the relationship itself, like my parents fought all the time. My mom threw pots and pans across the, the house. My dad would just kind of shut down and it just wasn't, it just really wasn't a great um, environment for building, like learning how to build a um, good relationship with people, with each other, especially in a romantic sense. So there was that aspect of it. And then there was the constant tease. Like every, it seemed like, it felt to me, like whatever stuck, this is what stuck. I don't know if this is true, but this is what stuck. Is if there was any kind of conversation around like romantic style relationship, it was always a, a tease. It was always a raz. It was always some kind of like, you know, you know, try to embarrass the person. So it's like, so there's that aspect of things. And so for me, what I've realized through this kind of pandemic time and when I've thought about it is like, I feel like that idea, the idea of being vulnerable about my romantic life is very um, vulnerable, I guess is the word to use. It's like, feels very, like I, do, I, I don't want to expose it. It feels like this really sensitive touch, you know, like piece of my life that I don't want to expose. And it's not, I honestly don't feel like the rejection part of like asking somebody out bothers me. It's, it's It might have played something somewhere along my life, but I think really what it is right now, it's just the exposure of saying, hey, I'm being vulnerable. I want I want you to see this part of me that I, I find you attractive, I like you. And it's that vulnerable piece that I have a really hard time exposing because for whatever reason. And I also really feel like there's like this, um, I have a hard time with the casual aspect of things. Like I feel like if I expose that, if I let somebody see that, I have to really be follow up on it. Like I can't um, be casual about it. And then if I just, if I change my mind, if I say like, oh, I did let you see this really soft, vulnerable piece of me, but now I don't, I don't feel, I'm not, as, I'm not attracted to you. <laughs> you know, it's like, I was attracted to you a month ago, but now I'm not. And so I would feel super guilty and feel like really weird about it. And I think that's fairly normal, but just the common combinations of, of this stuff, it makes it really difficult for me to um, want to expose myself in that way. And I'm really private about that whole thing. I was talking to one of my friends about it recently. And it's like, it's really, I don't, that's one of the, difficult reasons of living having my mom live with me is I don't even have the option to go on a date without having to explain where I'm going you know and, and that really is hard for me that's really hard for me like I don't want my mom to know when I'm going on a date because I just as I'm not that type of personality like I see it on Instagram and I see it on TikTok and I see it on depictions on TV and YouTube and different places where some young men or young women even um young people in relationships or just relationships can talk open like super openly like yeah i'm going on a date with this person we'll see how it goes and blah. like i'm not that kind of person i cannot do anything i was like if i'm going on a date with somebody i'm the only one that knows about it and the other person until the date happens and until i decide whether or not i want to let anyone else know i actually did this thing that's where i live with that whole thing and it's really difficult for me to kind of get over that and change that. And I don't know if I really want to fight it because I know, um, yeah, it's just, it's really hard. There's enough other things in my life that are hard too to have to deal with 
to try to change that right now is not something that I really want to tackle. So there's, so there's that aspect that, and then, so being in this pandemic time, it's just another, so like I have that wall, those two kind of two walls I already mentioned, the wall of just how I personally feel about it, the wall of my mom living with me. And now there's the wall of the pandemic and going like being, wanting me to be responsible about the pandemic and having anxiety around the pandemic and going like, well, it's not even a good time to date right now. Like, you know, people are, are dating, people are still doing stuff They you know, all the dating services have like, um, virtual versions that you can do like zoom calls or whatever, like FaceTime calls with and date that way. So, so it's just a thing. Um, yeah. So, but it just makes it hard realizing there's another wall between me and having a companion. And there's probably more walls. There's at least three walls there and there may be another wall. So it's just, that's just one of the, the hardest things that I think about and have to personally deal with, with how I've, become as a human and then the the other piece like there was a piece of me going to grad school that was like okay maybe i'll have the opportunity to meet somebody and at this point it feels very apparent that that's not the reason why i'm at grad school the you know the bulk of other grad students that would even be kind of remotely close to my you know reasonable for me to like um that i find attractive and would be reasonable in terms of like age to like date are all partnered up. (laughs) They're already like either married or whatever, you know, and then there's a depth, there's like being a college student, there's a lot of attractive women that are younger than me that I'm just like, yeah, I'm twice your age. And I don't even know how to start that conversation. Like you might be open to it, but I have no desire to come off as that creepy old dude, which I am, I feel like I'm more prone to be that type of person to be perceived as a creepy old dude than to be like that. Oh, you're so sweet. You know, it's like, you know, I've been called sweet a lot in my life. And it's like a, like a bad word to me because I'm like, I don't want to be sweet. I want to be your partner or whatever. Um, but, but in terms of like, just knowing that there's that age gap, I, I don't think I can pull off the, oh, he's cute because of that. And like, there's certain people that, that can say things that are just vile and chauvinistic. And, and what's the word that's, um, another word, uh, misogynistic. <laughs> like there's people that can be that way and get, because of their level of attractiveness, just kind of get like, oh, he's cute because of that. And then there's people that can be that same way. And because of their level of attractiveness, they're villainized. And I fall, I feel like I fall more on that side of the spectrum than on the, I'm cause I'm I clearly not just women are not falling at my feet because of my attractiveness. I mean, I feel invisible to be honest. I feel pretty much invisible to women. I do not, you know, there, I guess when I was in high school, there was a couple girls that I did find attractive that found me attractive, but I missed their flirting cues completely if they were even trying to flirt with me. Um, but, but for most of my life, I just don't, I've never been the type that's girls like pass me notes or tell their friends to tell me about something like that's never been me. And now that I'm older, it's, you know, I see less people. It's just, it's even worse. It's like, it feels like it honestly feels like I'm probably going to be single forever from here on out because who knows um because then there's the other problem it's like like when you're undergrad or you know undergrad 
and earlier, like basically from the point that you start to become attracted to somebody till you go through your first, you know, undergrad experience of college about that. That's the range where you're around a lot more people that are like you, that are, you just, the options are a lot wider. Once you get outside of that, you start working, your options start going down. You get older, people are married, less people are out and around that are your age. Your options just keep going down, 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 and down. And um, so that's kind of where I feel like I'm at right now. And then there's the, this is the whole point, or this is one of the points of why I'm just even bringing up this topic is because online dating is, well, online dating in the context of free online dating, I have no idea what paid online dating is like, and I don't have a lot of faith that would be much different, but maybe it is. But what I am personally attracted to is just not on the online, like maybe percentage wise, maybe like 1% of the people of the women on online dating, I find attractive, but then, you know, that 1%, they have options there. And I probably don't fall within what they find attractive. Um, And any so far, anybody that's that, that so I I'm so not desirable that even so like with the online dating right now, it's all built on this, this kind of matching kind of algorithms and stuff and like swiping. And so a lot of them try to bait you into paying for their service because they will tell you who matched with you that you can't see yet. So I am so like, I'll just say unattractive to this pool of peak women that I don't even get people swiping me that I can't see. I get like super low, like maybe one or two every once in a while. And usually like I'll swipe through and it's like I swipe them. I say I'm not interested. And then one of my matches goes away. It's like, oh, you just missed the match. It's like, oh, that's fine because I wasn't even attracted to that person anyway. So there's that aspect of things. And the the thing that I've kind of one of the things I've realized, I don't know, this like feels like mo like a vast majority of the women on these dating sites are like trying to be this cookie cutter version of i don't know like they all shop at the same store there's like no edge it's like it's like and I, maybe that's just the age maybe most men that are in their 40s lose that have lost their edge completely too and don't care and it's just like but i'm just not in that place and that's kind of what I miss about being a part of this, the music community in Seattle was like most of the women in the community had some edge to them, had some uniqueness, whether or not I would ever, they are attracted to me or not. I have, you know, they're not, well, let's just, just say that, but, but there was like, you know, that, that, that kind of artistic kind of community, but, you know, again, I'm 43 and so I'm starting to age out of even that community in a lot of ways. So just kind of a thing is just, this 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 um, online dating stuff is just not. It just doesn't work for me because like I do not find basically I'll, I'm safe to say any of them attractive enough to and the ones I do find attractive are either too young for me or have so many options that they'll never match with me anyway. So because they are they're attractive they're like that's what everybody um, you know when you're attractive you have options and. Um, so it's just like, I don't know what's going to happen there. And so I've, I've talked about this before. If you remember, if you want to dig the archives early on in this creative, my podcast, I did this like three part series of how I feel about the whole thing that I'm talking about. 
the the only piece I didn't really add in there was what I realized what I realized just recently about that soft sensitive part that I don't like to expose. Um, I didn't know that at that time. But I really feel like that's a piece of why I am like I am. Um, but yeah, just I'm I, I've always hoped that I could create something because knowing my level of attractiveness is like is X. I've always hoped that I could create something that enhances my attractiveness. Like I said, I'm pretty sure I said in that original series that some a woman, if her physical attractiveness is at this level, if she's if I if I find out that she can sing really well or she's an amazing artist or she does something like to like professional like pro level it's like I find that way more attractive. Like I'm like all of a sudden way more attractive to that person, even if their physical attractiveness was something that like maybe all by itself I wouldn't have been attracted to. So that's what I'm trying to do for myself is like, you know, and I don't even have money. So that's the other piece of it. And I'm sure I talked about this before. It's like so great. So great I want to um, meet somebody, but not having any money to go on a date, like that's no fun. I don't want to put – I don't – A, I don't want to – um it's like, I don't want that to be, um, I can't think of the right word, but I want to be able to offer something that way. And I'm not interested in just hooking up with another broke person, no matter how, I mean, I don't know. There's, it could happen. The, The right set of circumstances could happen. Um, but in some ways I'm just, yeah, I just, I just not interested in just being, bunch of broke people because i don't know i'm hoping that i can establish something to, in my life that i'm money doesn't is no longer an issue i can go on dates i can do things and i can go travel i can afford everything so we'll see what happens we'll see what happens i think that's all i had to say about this so the dating so the last thing i wanted to say is uh no i think i covered it the dating sites suck it's basically like i don't know i don't know they're just not not a fan i have them all right now right now i have uh so there's let me break down my experience with them right now like bumble like terrible because you have to you can't even interact with the person until they interact first which i like that concept but since i get zero interaction it's like oh that doesn't really work um they're used and i feel like they front load at least when i first got on it a couple years ago felt like this more than lately but maybe it's just because i'm super active on it so i've gone through them but whenever you first sign up for that service it feels like the first 10 people you swipe are like massively attractive you're like yeah of course i would date any one of these let's do it <laughs> let's do let's go but um but then it's like you start to swipe more and you're like oh well yeah no 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 oh yes no 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 yeah it's like whatever and then so that's bumble um and then I, I finally, or I tried, I'm trying Hinge, uh, which is another one, which is kind of cool. The, the, the thing I like about Hinge is you can see who matched with you like right away. You don't have to like, it's not hidden until you match with them. It's like they ma- they like you, they do something on your profile. It's basically set up with like three pictures and three like text box and they can like any one of those or you can like any one of theirs. And then it sends a notification saying, hey, this person liked your picture or liked what you had to say here. And you can respond directly to that thing, that person, or you can just send the like. Um, and then, so then it gives you an opportunity to respond back. 
And um, so that's kind of cool to be able to actually see the person. And I have chatted with a couple people on there, but I there's no intention. They're like not. I'm not like blown away. I'm not like oh, I really want to meet this person. There's I'm just like eh, I'm just talking to you because that's what I'm doing. Um, so there's that one. But I kind of like the way they've got it set up because you can see the person right away. That's not as much of a mystery. And I've gotten more like like people are actually liking my profile more often. So I don't know whatever it is about the demographic on that site. Um, but unfortunately, I'm not, uh, like I said, there hasn't been anybody that's like, and the one thing you could be saying right now to yourself is like, man, your standards are way too high. Or what's the, what's the big deal? Why don't you? And it's like, yeah, because of everything else I already told you about my sensitivity around this stuff, it's just not worth it to put myself in a position where I don't feel it from the beginning and try to like, see how it goes i'm like yeah there's got to be a baseline <laughs> there's got to be a baseline um and there's plenty so this is the hard part this is the hard part about this whole thing for me is that um i've seen i i've seen i've interacted with people like in my life and i've seen them i then i'm like yes you are the kind of person that i want to know you and I, so I know they're out there. It's not like nobody else, like, like there's no options. Like I know they're out there. It's just, it hasn't worked out to make it an option for me in the moments that they've been there. So that's that, that's kind of the stuff. And then the other two, I signed up, OkCupid is um, changed their thing. Like I've been working with OkCupid for a long time. That was actually the first online thing I used a long time ago, back in the day. And I Seems like I did a lot better with it way back. Um, I, there was more people I would go on dates with or whatever that I was like, ah, I'm genuinely attracted to you. Let's um, see what happens. But it didn't happen. That is weird. Um, but then, but the way they do it now is back, it's kind of more of the swipey thing. But then they, 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 they only give you like, you can only like like five profiles a day unless you pay for it. And then I think the they know that you're about to, you know, be run out of likes. And so they start feeding this is they they feed the attractive people at the end of your likes to try to bait you to say like oh well you want to say you like this person so why don't you pay for it because there's just like clearly enough track so who knows if they're real profiles or not so that's what i think they're trying to do and then um i actually have plenty of fish on my phone right now but i haven't logged in or signed up for it yet i'll probably not do anything with it <clears throat> but um so what, one of the things I brought up a couple of minutes ago was this idea is like, it's, I'm clearly not, it feels like I'm clearly, the reason I'm in grad school is at this point is not to meet somebody in a romantic way. The reason I'm in grad school is to get my MFA. It feels like my, the reason I'm in grad school is to do grad school. It's like get the focus on my art. Cause it's the thing that I've been mentioning to a lot of people, um, about this grad school experience is that there's been this synchronistic aspect to it. There's been like things have just kind of been falling into place, which feels pretty cool in a way. It feels like it, it genuinely, genuinely does feel like I'm doing the right thing. I'm in the right place. Cause just with how the first year played out with the things that did stress me out in the first year, all just kind of magically worked out. Like an example, like I wanted to figure out how to, so originally going to grad school, like one of the things I daydreamed about was like, I want to teach a drawing class. Like I'm super stoked on teaching a drawing class. Like I want to teach a class, teach a class. The way that they advise you, which I think is terrible. They advise you to take your, um, 
this class you have to take to teach in your last year. And it's like, well, how am I going to prepare to teach if I'm taking this class in my last year? So that makes no sense to me at all. So, um, so I was like, well, I want to take that right away, but I wanted to, since I knew I wanted to draw, I had to figure out, I, I thought I, I thought I had to figure out how to take that class with somebody that could teach like to draw, like that was kind of doing that, like teaching the drawing courses. And so that first semester, I was like, ah, this, this doesn't, it didn't feel right. I actually tried, I started to like meet with professors that are in the painting and printmaking department because where the drawing kind of connected to that. And it just, it just wasn't just, you know, it's like, you know, when things aren't vibing quite right. So I just kind of dropped that thing. But then the head of my department invited me to come critique with her class. She actually invited all the grad students said, hey, come critique my class because you're a grad student and you should be doing this basically is the way I interpreted it. And that's what I want to do anyway. And um, so I was like, yeah, okay, I'll be there. When is it? Thursday? Okay, great. So we did the critique and she was like, as I was walking out, you know, actually, I felt like I did a good job. Like I felt like I, I represented myself really well during this kind of first chance to show my head of my department, like what I'm about, show some of the undergrads what I'm about. I was like, yeah, I, I feel good about my, my performance today, like how I represented myself. And so when I was leaving, I went to my studio, grabbed my stuff and it was time for me to leave. And I kind of slowed down just a little bit as I walked past her. And she said, hey, do you want to do this every, you know, every day? You want to come and be like an unofficial TA for my class? And so I was like, yes, I'll do it. Because I was super, and I still am, but I'm super, I was definitely at that time, like, whatever, like, what is my mission statement? It was even before I really realized my mission statement, complete grad school and get the most out of it. So she offered me an opportunity to do something to try to get more out of this experience than if the opportunity wasn't there. So I was like, and this is like, yes, I don't need the credit for it. I want the experience, you know? So I was like, okay, let's do this. So a couple, maybe a week and a half, two weeks went by of me joining this class every every time it happened. And then she said, hey, you know, you should get credit for this, you know? And it was already deep into the semester, or deep enough into the semester that, um, you know, I couldn't just sign up for it. So I had to go through the process of a, like doing a late ad. So essentially what happened was this opportunity to, um, take that class I need to teach other classes just fell in my lap. It was like, oh, here it is. Here's your opportunity. You you now have done this class. And it was like super like, wow, how did that? So that was that's the example of things that have happened throughout this whole year with with art school, with being a graduate student. It's like it's like one that I, I get like frustrated or I, I kind of maybe even give up on an idea and it then it just works itself out. It's like they, we did this another really great example for me is we had this thing called um so every student that pays tuition into school part of their tuition goes into this fund that's called the student success fee and as a student you can then propose projects that use money from that fund you just have to write a little grant proposal which is fairly simple um turned out to be it was just kind of like this is what i plan to do because i think they really they're not trying to be super super critical about the grant writing process they just want to see that there's some a semblance of an idea and then they're like here do it go here's your money you know they don't they want this money out so um i wrote this grant my the head of my department again suggested that we do this project called design week i was like yeah i'll do it let's go let's do it um as the pro project progressed i actually got really stressed out about it because it wasn't 
it was just really difficult. I didn't really feel like I was getting the proper guidance around it because I was, I thought I would have more guidance because it was a project that I had nothing, didn't know. It wasn't like I have an idea. Let me go find out how to do my idea. It was like somebody else gave me the idea and said, you should do this. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. Just as long as somebody's here to help me figure out what I'm supposed to be doing. But that really didn't happen to the degree that I would have been more comfortable with. Um, but you know, things just worked out. I figured it out. I, you know, some of it was stressful and other things. But because of the pandemic, it threw like this big monkey wrench in the project because the project was going to be bringing people to campus, doing these kind of like, um, you know, artist talks and then workshops on campus. But because the pandemic happened, it removed that that necessity of that logistical piece and that just like oh thank god i was like i it was not going as smoothly as i wanted it to or thought you know it just wasn't but removing that logistics piece of dealing with trying to get people to actually go to these things and where they're going to be and all this stuff i was like okay that piece is gone now we can just do this online presentation and because of my experience with doing podcasting and doing youtube for so long it's like i was kind of the perfect I don't say perfect, but I was a really good candidate for this to have happened to. It was like, I, it wasn't so outside of my realm of, you know, knowledge that, um, I couldn't handle it. And so I even got like, so the presentation was like four different presentations. They all worked out great. I got people were like, man, you did a really good job of, you know, hosting that and organizing. I was like, well, it's because I've been kind of doing it already. <laughs> it's like I have some experience with this kind of thing. So, and that's just, to me, that was just another example of like how things have just been kind of working out. And there's been others, there's been smaller ones, like even the small is like, man, I'm really stressed out. I can't, I, man, it would be so awesome if today's class got canceled. And, you know, I wake up, you know, or an hour later, I get an email. Yeah, today's class is canceled. I'm like, what the, f what? How is that possible? So, just different things like that. Um, all this this entire year leading up to the pandemic, and the pandemic is another great example of, you know, besides that example of the design week thing that I was talking about, or the student success fee thing, just the pandemic itself of, of like I've already set my life was already set up to work this way. It's like I didn't. You know, it's actually like when I lived in Seattle, I got rid of my bed. I focused on how can I be a creative person with the what I have around me. And this and that was like something like there's an Arthur Ashe um, quote says, start with start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. And I use that phrase in my like, you know, what's it called? My uh, mission, mission, not mission statement, my um, the thing I applied, the, the writing I used to apply to grad school statement of purpose. I was like, that's kind of how I, I'll just start where I am, use what I have and do it, do what I can, you know, like that whole concept. And like, it hasn't been more appropriate than now. Like, this is the most appropriate time for that to be a thing. And it's just kind of like, wow, you know, it's like, I can do everything I need to do right here in my home studio, Studio 1200. And it's actually easier for me than being on campus, as I already just explained before. So things like that. It's been kind of how this this year has worked out uh, in a lot of ways for me. So I'm just hoping that it keeps going this way. And so right now, what I'm focused on with getting this MFA, um, well, I didn't finish my story about wanting to teach. Um, I thought, you know, I thought coming into grad school that that was one of the things I dreamed about was teaching. 
but now that I've been in it, I'm just like, you know, I don't really want to do that. You know, it's like the politics involved with it and just kind of, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel inspiring. I think I'd be really good. I honestly think I'd be really good in a classroom, but I, the, the red tape around it, the combination of like the red tape and the, you know, how much you get paid to do it. It just doesn't, I'm just not passionate about it, like personally passionate about I want to be a teacher. I just think I'd be good at it. I just think I'd fucking kick ass at it, but I'm not passionate about it. So right now, really what I'm hoping to focus on is finding a way to make money. You know, I, right now I want to, I'm thinking about seeing if I can align whatever I'm doing to get like a creative director type of position at a some company that can actually pay, that actually has a budget um, it can be a startup, I guess, but as long as they have money, as long as they're like willing to pay for the position, um, I, I'm, I'm over as much as possible over the idea of working for like, I don't know, not enough, <laughs> you know, for me, honestly, I want to, you know, just to be straight, I'm looking at the 70 to hundred grand range. That's what I want to make to out of grad school. That's what I would like to make. I would like to make 70 to hundred grand to be a creative, at least minimum, you know, it could be more, I guess, 120, you know, whatever, within reason, you know, I don't expect to make 500,000 a year. But I think between 70 and 120 grand seems to be in a reasonable range to expect for having completed grad school and wanting to work for like a company that actually has a budget um, for cost. I mean, if you're living on the West Coast, there's no way you could afford to live less than that. I, you know, when I was in Seattle, I was I thought 30 grand a year was like not knowing what I know. Like that's what I, I said when I, when I got a job, I was like, yeah, I think I could live off 30 grand. It's like, I was so wrong. So wrong about that. It's like the reality was like maybe 50 would have been survivable, but you know, 60 to 65, 70, like that's why that 70 is my, the, the minimum. I feel like to have a reasonable lifestyle, you need to make at least 70 grand a year. I mean, what is the, I don't know. I'm probably right. I'm probably, if you look up like the median income, let me see. I'm going to see if I can do this quickly. Medium income. Um, I'm just, I just did general 59 median household income by state. California is basically 60,000. So that's not far off. That's probably, I don't know what education level that would be considered, but I don't know. Me California ranked only eighth in income that year, that year, whatever that year. But anyways, so yeah, I've been rambling on for a while. Hope you're, uh, if you're still here, awesome. I think I, I think I'm about done. I don't know what else I have to say. So that's kind of where I'm at. Oh, the oh, I did write one other thing down here. So the other thing, talking about what I've discovered about myself. This is the big one. This is kind of plays into my my career as a artist and as a person. Um, this whole George Floyd thing and moment really has affected me, and it's spooled into. So the pandemic, I was kind of paying attention to it. I kind of you know my anxiety around it ramped up enough. The moment like the George Floyd protests, the Black Lives Matter protests started happening, I you know that. A perfect chain of events. I don't remember what started it, but I started to investigate like what's going on. And I started to realize like, and this kind of like just domino effect of like, oh my God, this, I didn't realize how much I don't know about 
you know, social justice and civil rights and, you know, equal rights and just oppression and racism that's still rampant in our country. I didn't, I had no idea. And the one thing that early on was, I realized is like, I thought the civil rights ha movement happened like in past tense. I thought we were good. I thought it was just these anomaly groups of people that are like still racist. They're just leftover racism on the surface. I didn't realize that it's ingrained in the institution. It's ingrained in the systemic. Like there are actually policies in place that keep people oppressed, you know, and and I just like, whoa. And then just this. And so that, that kind of concept really started to enlighten me. And then it started to get me paying more attention to the pandemic, what's going on there. Then it started to get me paying more attention to our like our administration, the White House, the, the current president. And I'm just like, what the f I'm like, this is crazy what's going on right now. We are in this like insane. And I don't know if it's always been like this. What it sounds like, it's not always been like this because we, we have a, a wannabe authoritarian president who's just doing things that are just super un-American and unconstitutional and un just there's no compassion there's no empathy there's no desire to have like a moral kind of like stance on it it's all just what I want me 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 like racism gaslighting you know no that's fake news like all this I'm like what not even willing to t speak the truth just speaking what he wants to believe is the truth and thing and so it's just so the combination of all these things is really like I feel like I've been enlightened uh, in a lot of ways. I've been enlightened to the to the racial disparity in our country. I've been enlightened to, you know, seeing politics in a different way. I've been enlightened to how toxic of a president it, we have is. I've been enlightened to how toxic the Republican Party is. I've been enlightened to how toxic the idea of conservative, you know, narrative is. And I, you know, I, I won't go into like mega details about it here, but but the bottom line is right now sure if you want to have a conservative viewpoint on something certain policies unfortunately your conservative viewpoint is also attached to a viewpoint of oppression somewhere along the lines you cannot isolate saying like oh i just want limited you know you know government power so i align with the conservative agenda but unfortunately the conservative agenda has a bunch of things that are oppressive and just wrong about our country and I cannot stand by that. So, and what I see right now, what I've learned right now, like I always considered myself a kind of Democrat slash liberal, more leaning, more kind of, I used to say socialist kind of, so I don't like to use that term. And then, but I've been learning more about this kind of per, modern day progressive because I don't want to confuse with when progressiveness, the term progressive first got used like in the 1800s, it's very different than what progressive is now. Um, so I don't want to confuse the two because today's progressive, like the last four years, basically, of or maybe longer, eight years, but f say eight years, ever since Bernie Sanders started running, in my opinion, the definition of progressive politics is the only group of politicians that want to be accountable. Like Democrats and Republicans, like moderate Demo like mainstream Democrats and definitely like all Republicans are corrupt and willing to compromise the idea of serving our country for making money. They see 
see politics as a way to make money rather than as a way to serve people. And I feel like the progressive party right now is the only party that sees politics as a way to make the country better and serve people. It's about what it can they can do to help people. Whereas, you know, Democrats kind of they're in that weird line because there's enough there's enough of them that are just as weird and it's about a business, like a business model rather than a you know service model. Oh, I like that business model versus service model. Um, but but Republicans are all, it's like, it's all a business model. Let's let me go into politics so I can make money and see how much money I can make off of this thing. It's like all a business model. But whereas the kind of Democrats, it's kind of in the middle, but the progressives feel like, no, it's a service model. It's like, how can I, what can I do to serve the people around me? It's not about like how much money can I make? Um, and that's what I've learned. And that's what I feel like I've learned. And I'm trying to educate myself more about it and trying to figure out where, how do I, now that I've been activated this way, how can I share my voice um, and be an ally and be somebody that's helping support, you know, progress, helping to support progress, helping to support change, helping to support to make a better America, make a better world. And as of right now, the best answer I can come up with is to do it through my art. So that's what I'm starting to do with my artwork. And so it's given me fuel it's giving me a direction on what i need to be doing while i'm in grad school so it's already felt good to be in grad school i just i honestly didn't know what kind of art i should make and what what my voice should be and how to use it that way but now i feel like i have a reason to use my voice and how to use it so i'm feeling good about that and i'm excited to see where it'll go you know i've you know i've even there there's this little piece in my head that says like what about getting directly involved with politics? What about trying to become a some kind of like um, what are they called? Um, well, I can't remember the name, but some kind of community political person. <laughs> I'm, I think I've been talking long enough now that I'm starting to lose my mind a little bit. But um, what are they called? City council member, like a like a you know like a that level, like a city council level polit- political person and see if I could serve on that and maybe start to work my way up the ranks or something. But there's just a lot I have to learn about that whole thing to get involved with it. And I don't know if I have that desire or energy, especially now that I'm, there's all this weird stuff. Like I'm in grad school right now. Let me just, let me what complete grad school and get the most out of it. That Let me focus on that mission statement and use art and use my, what I've learned about how I feel about our world and direct it to my art. And then when I'm out of grad school, maybe something will change because there's still, I think, you know, I still want to get the van. I still, the idea of living in a van is super inspiring to me because I like that idea of being minimalist. I just hope I can sustainably do it, find a way to make a living, like living while I'm on the road. Cause I, you know, like the YouTube, like it would be so awesome to have a YouTube channel that supported me by being a van lifer. Um, I would love that. I would totally, I think I would love that. Um, the one thing that, I am concerned about is that that loneliness piece um some of that anxiety that comes around that and like like that not knowing where to park my van and feeling like you know not everywhere you can't just pull over everywhere and sleep even though my van would definitely have like a stealth aspect to it like you might not know there's somebody in it but it's still like I don't know there's that kind of worry about things so it's like I'd want to be able to plan out this stuff so that maybe there's a hybrid of my life. Maybe I will end up somewhere. Like 
you, I mean, I've probably already answered it for myself because every time I think about it, even though I want a minimalist lifestyle, I also want the opportunity to like, maybe I have an idea that I wanna make a larger piece of artwork or spend some time somewhere and make some artwork or do a project like that. It would be nice to have a home, like a base that I could drive my van to and have tools and some storage. Like I'm so not inspired by the idea of having a storage shed somewhere. Like if I have a storage unit full of shit, that is not inspiring me. I wanna have nothing. But if I have like a garage that I can pull my van into and it's a workshop, that would be inspiring to me. Like I would be totally down. Like if I had a workshop with tools and then also a space to maybe like do some recording of some kind, and I don't even need, it could just be a warehouse because then I could just, my van will be my house. Like I just pull into this warehouse, sleep in the van, like the van itself will be the house. So I think that's the reality that I like. And for some reason, I'm just like, I feel like that's going to happen in like the Midwest, like Detroit or something like somewhere in that area, Michigan. I don't know. That's feels like I've been toying with Detroit, like in my mind, it feels like that's where I'll find this storage, this kind of like warehouse spot. Um, we'll see if that happens. Maybe I'm manifesting it right here on this podcast. Maybe I'm not, but, um, but I also want to visit Mississippi, but I, I don't, I don't see myself living in Mississippi. I've always had this fascination with Mississippi. Just, I don't know, something about the race, race relations about Mississippi and just something about Mississippi has always attracted me, but I'm kind of worried about like the, the bug life in Mississippi. <laughs> I don't want to deal like ticks and everything like that. I don't know. It's just like that kind of like south southern swampy vibe that that doesn't inspire me at all um but who knows we'll see what happens all right i'm gonna wrap it up now thanks a lot for hanging out with me i probably i don't yeah i'm just gonna publish this one i don't think i'll put an ad in this one but if you want to um help me out if you want to support this journey that i'm on um there's lots of ways to do it youtube.com slash the zim video subscribe to the channel do that thing, comment on some videos, share some videos around. Check out my Patreon, patreon.com slash the Zim, the Zim, T-H-E-Z-I-M. Um, I have, like I said earlier, I have two Patreon supporters over there. So I'd love to keep growing that. Uh, that's a monthly subscription service to help me support me being an artist. That, that'd be excellent. Um, what else? Uh, just PayPal, the underscore Zim at hotmail.com is my PayPal. And then um, Venmo at the Zim on Venmo. Those are all ways you can give me money, um, which I would love to have you do because um, it takes takes money to create stuff. And there's a lot of ideas I have. One of the things that I'm planning to do when there's two hardware things that I'm gonna buy soon, uh, a, an iPad Pro, and luckily I can get that kind of not for free, but for loan like school loan money. Um, so it's not like I'm paying extra, well, I don't know how to phrase it. I'm just getting a loan through the school to do it because they give you your financial aid money. If you buy a computer with some of that money, they'll reimburse you that money with an additional loan. So that, and I checked out, I said, does an iPad count for that reimbursement? And they said, yes, so, but I have to wait till school starts. So once school starts, I'm gonna order this iPad Pro um, I'm gonna just order the maxed out, the, the biggest one, the maxed out with the pencil. And um, yeah, I'm gonna do it. Cause I want it for drawing and taking notes and um, to have that interface. It's, you know, the, the, the art making that I've seen online that I really wanna start getting involved with is like this uh, 
program called Procreate. I want to design stickers and t-shirts. I think it would help all, all that stuff for sure. And then just the work that I want to do. So I want to do more tunnel books, but I want to do more like um, custom made tunnel books. And it'll just be a lot easier to draw like these custom patterns directly into the computer because I recently got a Cricut uh, vinyl cutter maker machine that cuts can cut vinyl, can cut paper, can cut a lot of things. So I want to start making these precise um, cut tunnel books off my cutter and designing them inside of the computer. So yeah, so there's that. Um, what else? Uh, what else? So, oh yeah, the, the two things. So that's one, but the other piece of hardware, well, actually there's three, three things I really want to get. But the other piece is I'm going to buy a um, figure. I'm just going to figure out how to buy it, but I'm going to buy a new camera. I want the Nikon Z50, I think it is. It's the smallest of the new mirrorless cameras um, because I really like small cameras. I don't like the smaller, the better, even if it has less features, I don't care. I just want the smallness factor of it. And I need it. I really need a second camera for the productions that I'm doing. I've noticed that the last one I did with the, I made a tunnel book recently and I made this how to tunnel book video. That's right. I think I've talked about it on this already. And I was using my phone for the second camera and it just, it was, it was okay. It works, but it's um, not ideal because I like to use my phone as my phone <laughs> more than as a camera. So I am, um, cause I, you know, has, I like to check things and I don't know. I just don't want it to be tied up as a camera unless it absolutely has to be. But if I had a second DSLR that I could use as a video recording camera, that's what I want. And I want that smallest Nikon, which it'll cost me. I think the kit is about 12. So it'll be the camera body and I'm going to get the two lens kit. And I think it's 12, about 1200. So it's not terrible. Um, so we'll see what I can do there. I'm just going to figure out how to make it happen. I'm going to do it. And then, um, the last thing I really want to do is a, a buy a table saw. So, which I realize is way more expensive than I thought. For some reason, I thought I could get one for a couple hundred bucks, which I think I can, but it'd be like the worst one. So I'd, I want to make sure it stays in square for a while. I don't want to have to be finessing with it. Um, and I'd want like, and those are like the contractor sizes. So it doesn't have to be like, as long it as small is fine. Just as long as it's well made, like solidly made. Um, that's why, and I, I don't know how much that costs. I think I'm looking between five and a thousand for a decent one. And maybe I can find one used. I'll have to ask people um, what they think about the brands and stuff. But um, yeah, so yeah, so that, that's, those are the three things. So basically that's, that's what you'd be supporting right now is helping me get those things. Um, and of course everything else, cause I still got to eat food and pay rent and pay my car bill, which is another thing. Like my car is, uh, luckily right now I am able to defer the payments because of the pandemic, but I really wish I could just sell it because or get rid of it, but I owe more on it than I can get for it. Cause it's like, I'm paying like $300 plus plus three sixty six plus seven right now it's like 75 for insurance so 400 and say 50 bucks just to kind of make it even 450 bucks a month to keep my car and i'm just like 
I don't want to pay that money. Like if I didn't have to make that payment, I could pay off my, I do have a credit card that I still am trying to pay off, which is also in deferment right now because of the pandemic. So those things like you could really, you'll be helping me keep it all going and, and uh, make it happen. So thanks a lot if you want to help me do all that. So yeah, until next time, you know, check out my other podcast, Word on the Street, MFA Chronicles, the links to a bunch of stuff. I'll just put a bunch of links in the description of this podcast that you can go find different things. And I hope you're doing well. Be loving, kind, and patient. And uh, yeah, I'll catch up with you again soon. Peace.